Welcome to Set on Sunday, a podcast by Kellyville Anglican, where we talk about what was said on Sunday, or even what we didn't have time to say on Sunday. We are passionate about being deep in the Word of God and doing life together in community. So thanks for letting us into your week as we learn more about Jesus together. Here's today's episode. Well, Richard, Nathan, it's great to be with you both. Great to be with you too, my friend, and to everybody else out there. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, it's good to be back. Our first podcast without the big man, Dave. So we'll see how we go. Yeah, well, we tried to do it yesterday and uh, here we are again today. <laughs> it was so bad. It was so we are bad. committed to the cause of delivering great content uh, for set on Sunday that we are here for day two. Uh, going at it again. Um, and so we want to make sure that our set on Sunday podcast is something that you want to listen to. Uh, and that you find really beneficial to help you in your walk with God as we tackle questions uh, from our series in Matthew on Sunday. Mm -hmm. So speaking of that, Nathan, what did we look at on Sunday Just Gone? Yeah, we looked at Matthew 2, uh, which is the the news of Jesus' birth going public. And so we meet all sorts of different responses. We, we see these mysterious magi figures who, though being Gentile and following all sorts of pagan practices, seem to understand who Jesus is and his significance and want to worship him straight away. And then we get on, uh, more negative responses from people we would expect to know better. So the people of Jerusalem are disturbed. Uh, the religious leaders are just completely disinterested. And Herod is obviously threatened that there's a new king on the block because Jesus is called the king of the Jews. And so he wants to get his hands on him and kill him. So, yeah, looking at those different responses and seeing and, and thinking about how we respond to Jesus. Are we threatened by him? Are we disturbed by him? Are we disinterested or, or do we want to are we overcome with joy and want to worship him? Yeah, fantastic. And so um, on Sunday, um, we have a, a phone number that you can text questions to. Um, and we try to answer as many as we can on our Sunday services, but sometimes we just don't have time. Mm -hmm. And so today we've got a number of questions that have been sent in from Sunday that we're going to answer. Some were answered at different services uh, throughout Sunday, um, but we're going to bring them all together for you. And we're going to go through some of those together now. Now, the Magi, number of questions here about yeah. them. Um you know, what's the point of the gifts? Where did they come from? What are their religious beliefs? How did they even know that Jesus was being born? What was the significance? How is it some sort of, you know, pagan astrological ideology? ideology? Yeah. Uh, get it out there, James. And um, yeah, so Richard, I wonder, you said you've got a bit of... Um, Experience in uh, the Magi world? Experience in, yeah, Magi magic, yes. Uh, and the, the two words actually, are, are, you may work out, are very, very similar. Hmm. Uh, to put it in its simplest terms, the Magi, if you think of them as both astrologers and astronomers at the same time, you've, you're probably uh, getting a, a pretty good idea of who they were. Uh, the term, it, it's probably Persian in origin, so it goes back a few years. Uh, and uh, but their religion and, and the way that they viewed the world probably goes back a couple of millennia. So basically, for them, they viewed the future through the lens of astrology, and they followed the the seven heavenly bodies. So it's the sun, the moon, and then the planets: uh, Mercury, Mars, uh, Venus, uh, Jupiter, and Saturn. And when you want to find out things about a ruler or a king, then you're looking really to the planet Jupiter and where it sits in various constellations. And by the way, the constellations uh, were their invention as well, or at least um, in, in that area of the world. So when they're, they're looking for Jesus, they're not actually looking at an Old Testament text. Uh, 
Matthew would have told us if there was an Old Testament text because <laughs> that's what he likes to do. No, they're, look, they're, it's purely their pagan views of a king is to be born. They're looking at Jupiter in, in whatever constellation it might have been and they're following that star. So that's, that's who they are. They're as pagan as you can possibly be. Theologically, they're as far removed from the people of God as you could possibly imagine. And yet they're the ones who come to Jesus and are overjoyed and are welcome, uh, which I think is partly Matthew's point. He's really wanting to ram home to the Jews who he's writing to. These pagans were overjoyed by Jesus. Why aren't you? Yeah, totally. Now, they came bearing some gifts. And Nathan, what's what's the significance of these gifts? Is there any significance? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of significance, I think, the main, the main point is that these are very expensive and very lavish and very important um, resources of that time. And so they're, they're acknowledging Jesus' greatness by bringing expensive and lavish gifts. I think that's probably where the meaning ends. There are some commentators uh, that, are, that are quite clever and get quite cute with it and sort of go, you know, the gold symbolizes his birth and the frankincense symbolizes his ministry and the myrrh symbolizes his death because, um, you know, myrrh is what you put on uh, dead bodies to preserve them. Um, that's very clever. That's very. Um, I'm very impressed by those people who write that. I don't. I think we might be reaching a little bit there. And I think the point is just they're rich, lavish gifts for that are fit for a king. Yeah, yeah and and even today, by the way, I looked it up. Uh, you can buy frankincense and myrrh oils uh, today. They go for for ten mil bottle, about forty dollars. Hmm. So that even today, yeah, well, yeah. those uh, uh, oils. Are, uh, are still quite expensive. Yeah. And so uh, from the passage that we heard on Sunday, uh, Herod wasn't really too stoked to hear that there was <laughs> another king being born in his area. No, he wasn't. Uh, tried to trick the Magi, but um, yeah, it didn't happen in the end. So why did Herod want to kill Jesus? Was he jealous? Had he heard that this baby is special apart from the Magi? Mm. What's the go? Yeah, we touched on this a bit in the sermon and, and what we know from Herod, you know, outside of the Bible uh, and from just from history and the sources around is that Herod's a very capable man, but he's also a very paranoid uh, and very power hungry man. And so if he felt threatened by anyone, even those he loved most, uh, then Herod is going to come after you. And so uh, we're told that his favorite wife, he had three wives, his favorite one, he actually ended up murdering because he, he felt for some reason that she was a threat uh, to his throne, whether she was going for it herself or was going to promote one of her children uh, to the throne. He felt threatened by her and, and got rid of her. And we also know he murdered multiple of his own sons because, again, they're the natural heirs to the throne and therefore his biggest threats to take the throne from him. And so very hyper paranoid. And so when he get, he gets, Jesus gets described in verse two as the king of the Jews uh, in the very region that Herod is supposed to be reigning. And so his, his alarm bells are instantly going off. His paranoia is kicking in. And so, um, yeah, he sets up a very clever plan to, to get Jesus killed by pretending to want to worship him himself. And yeah, his plan, it was a good plan. It would have worked except God, in, uh, you know, mm. appeared to send an angel to appear to the Magi in a dream and then to Joseph in a dream. So um, Herod's plan was on track to work, but uh, mm. God intervened to, to save his son. So, yeah, Herod, he's a scary dude and uh, and it's very in character for him to be paranoid and want to and wanna murder Jesus. Yeah, and so in the end, he ends up giving up some orders uh, mm. to go and kill uh, all the uh, young boys under the age of two. And so one of the questions that came in, was what comfort is given to those families that lost their sons during Herod's orders? You know, order fulfilled this Old Testament promise. Mm. Yeah, it's 
it is really sad and it's just human evil just running rampant and people in power abusing uh, their positions and it's awful. Uh, there's a couple of bits of hope though in that uh, the prophecy that's quoted uh, in that passage when Herod makes that order is Jeremiah 31 and uh, and so that's Rachel weeping for her children with her children going to exile and potentially them being killed and we're told at the end of that prophecy actually in Jeremiah 31 that Parents will be united with their children, and so that there is hope even for the generation that looks like it's about to be lost. And so, yeah, the prophecy that's been quoted in Matthew actually has a positive ending, so perhaps there's hope there. And and maybe just there's also just the hope that um, we, we worship a good God who, in the face of atrocious human evil, can work for good. And... Um, and yeah, and so there's, there's hope. There's going to be restoration at some point. And, and also, I guess we see most clearly at the cross where evil people do horrific things. The most innocent, perfect man ever, Jesus, is put to death by wicked Roman and Jewish leaders. And, and yet God works good and salvation out of it. So we've got the hope that God's always working for good, even in the face of human evil. Uh, we've got the prophecy in Jeremiah 31 that starts really negative. Rachel weeping for her children, but ends positive. Um and then we've got the the, yeah, the final hope that, that God will make all things right at the end, judgment yeah. and justice. Mm. And so Herod uh, is going to face judgment mm. for for that terrible edict that he gave. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, um, on Sunday, Nath, you talked about uh, what it would look like to give Jesus everything. Mm. Um, now, you're a pastor here at yes. Kelly Anglican. Yeah. Um, and so you spoke about your time in the accounting world. Yep. And one of the questions that came in was... What would giving Jesus everything have looked like if you stuck with the this middle management plan that you'd kind of shared with the church? Um, you know, not everyone's going to go into full time mm. ministry. So, can you paint us a picture? What would that look like? Uh, you as a middle management accountant smashing it for Jesus? Yeah, yeah, it would look it would look different. One, mm. I'd be a lot more bored than I am now because I'd be dealing with tax returns all day. Um, but I think my I'm going to have different time, different chances and different opportunities and different resources, but my my goal is still the same. I want to serve God. I want to bring people to Jesus. I want to honor him with everything I have. That's the same whether I'm in ministry or whether I'm accountant. Mm. It's just that whereas in ministry, you know, I might have 40, 50, 60 hours a week to serve a church and to do ministry and to try and reach people for Christ, I might only have you know, 10, 15, 20 hours a week if I'm an accountant. So I've, I'm still doing the same thing, but I'm going to have less time to do it. Mm. Uh, but still, my work uh, still has value. Uh, and you know, I'm going to try and honor God at my work. I'm going to hopefully be you know, one of the more honest and uh, full of integrity people at my, at my job, working hard, uh, trying to honor God there. Uh, I'm going to serve with the time I do have. And then there's, you know, if my plan came off as I wanted it to, then I probably would have had a little bit more wealth to honor, uh, honor God with as well. And so mm. same goal, but different different resources and, and, and gifts that I have. And so, um, yeah, it would look different. And yet, hopefully, the heart would be the same. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Now, Richard, you haven't always been in full-time ministry. Mm. Um, yeah. It's been a while. Um, I think back in the 1900s was when you uh, <laughs> were in well, uh, secular the, work. The 80s, yes. The 80s, the 80s. still oh, the 1900s. <laughs> yeah. uh, mate, what did it look like for you before going into full-time ministry? Well, the the good thing about being in the, the secular workforce is that you have people around you who you can tell the gospel to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was the case for me. I worked in several different offices and there were always opportunities to speak of Jesus. 
and I can remember two people in particular. Uh, and I can remember one conversation in a car as we were driving between work sites uh, where I was able to open um, the Bible and open a passage uh, with a guy who, before then, I didn't realise he'd actually been going to church and then in his late teenage years, he met a girl and decided you know, that was prefer to run after women than, than uh, submit his life to God. But it was... Uh, I had that opportunity just yep. just by being there, yep. and again, and there were there was oh, there were numerous opportunities uh, to speak of Jesus just with the people that I worked with, hmm. and those opportunities aren't here now hmm. because the guys I work with are just sitting opposite me right now. <laughs> we speak of Jesus, that is true, uh, but we're not evangelizing each other and bringing each other uh, towards uh, Christ. So that, that if you know what I mean by that. Mm. We're not um, uh, bringing people to the cross for the first time in the office here. <laughs> It'd uh, be alarming if we were. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if we were. But in the when you're in a workplace where you're mm. the only Christian, those mm. opportunities yeah. are definitely there. Yeah, it's a great mission field. And the person that asked this question, I just encourage you in that. You know, there is great opportunity for you to to live out your faith, to share uh, the good news of Jesus. Um, mm. People are more uh, accepting and responsive to. Uh, the gospel than what we are led to believe. So, mm. yeah, um, and we need we need Christians in all over yeah, the workforce. We need them. We need yeah. them everywhere. And so yeah, there's um, yeah, so much value. And Absolutely. Obviously, doing ministry is great, but yeah, you can honour God and, and be part of the mission field wherever you are, mm. which, yeah. is, which is awesome. It is great. All right, uh, getting back to some of the the questions that we have here, uh, Richard. Where did Joseph and Mary live before Jesus was born? It sounded like it wasn't Nazareth. Right. Uh, well, from Luke 1, verse 26, we find that Mary, in fact, did live in Nazareth. So uh, the angel went to visit her in Nazareth. So we know where she lived. We don't know where Joseph lived. So Joseph, we're not told. Now, you can assume that he lived nearby, but as his family uh, had uh, a residence in Bethlehem, perhaps that's where he was originally from. We don't know. So the answer to that question is simple. Yeah, Mary, we do know. Hmm. Joseph, we don't. Yeah, okay. Well, we have another one here. And uh, Nathan, I might throw this one uh, to you, mate. Uh, Matthew 2.15 refers to the prophecy in Hosea 11.1. One, mm-hmm. Out of Egypt, I called my son. But it was an angel talking to Joseph, not God talking to Jesus. Would you consider that a stretch? Also, the Hosea passage appears largely to be regarding Israel fleeing from Egypt under Assyria to find settlement in Jerusalem. How does this parallel to Jesus? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, as as a runner, you know, I love stretches. I, mean, I don't know where I'd be without stretches. So I'm, I'm actually <laughs> oh, very pro. probably be at the physio. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But I think we're talking about phys- uh, theological stretches, which you know, are not quite as good. Uh, and so, yeah, I actually don't think, uh, in terms of Matthew 2.15, I... I don't think it's actually the angel talking to Joseph at this point. I think if you read verses 14 and 15, we switch back and the narrator, uh, who is Matthew, is now commenting on commenting on the exchange that just happened between mm. uh, the angel and Joseph. And he's saying that that encounter and, and what's going to follow on is going to be sort of the fulfillment of the prophecy that um, out of Egypt I called my son. And, so, and that in Hosea 11, 
Uh, that's God looking back and remembering uh, him leading Israel out of Egypt under Moses back in the book of Exodus. And he's looking back on that and going, I saved these people. They're my firstborn son, and yet they keep rejecting me. Mm-hmm. And it's God sort of moaning uh, the past. And, and, and so we are looking forward uh, to a day where God's going to call his son out of Egypt and that son will be faithful through and through, that won't stumble in the wilderness, that won't fail. And so uh, whereas Israel is called God's son, then we, we meet God's actual son in Jesus, and he gets called out of Egypt, and then he goes into the wilderness like Israel did in the Old Testament. Mm. And uh, whereas they failed at the first sight of temptation and struggle, uh, Jesus uh, you know, gets baptized by John to fulfill all righteousness, great start, and then faces uh, temptation from Satan, three separate tests, and, and pass all them with uh, flying colors. And so, mm. um, yeah, Jesus, yeah, yeah, so we see that prophecy being fulfilled. There was a new and better son who, uh, after getting called out of Egypt, uh, does not fail the way Israel did. Mm-hmm. And in, just in these first two chapters of Matthew, we see that he loves quoting the Old Testament, mm. loves it. And so one of the questions that came through is like, can you comment further on the importance of the passages continuing reference to the fulfillment of prophecy? Mm. Um, Nath? Yeah. Yeah, well, Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience, so some of the Gospels are directed towards uh, Gentile audiences, and so they're a bit lighter on uh, with prophecy quotes. Matthew is directed to the Jews, and so he's really trying to convince uh, Jews and challenge them, come on, this is your Messiah, you've been waiting for this guy for ages, and he's finally come, please don't pass up the chance to to worship him. Mm. And so he's just uh, trying to argue as persuasively as he can, and so he's, he's... pointing out all these bloodlines, you know, through David, through to Abraham, and he's pointing to all this Old Testament prophecy that the Jews would have taken very seriously and go, come on, it's so clearly mm-hmm. fulfilled in Jesus' life. Like, it's it's all there. He's everything you've been looking for. He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. He's the fulfillment of all the promises in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea. And, and come on, you know. And so, yeah, it's a really persuasive and powerful rhetorical tool to go to argue from the Old Testament scriptures. Um, And so Matthew, because of his audience, goes to much greater lengths than others. Whereas if you're on the Gentiles, like, okay, it's interesting that it's a fulfillment of prophecy, but it's not going to be quite as as weighty as it is with Jews. So the whole way through this book, Matthew's going to really point out every single prophecy that's fulfilled. So yeah, it's it's because of his audience that he goes to such lengths to do it. And I just love seeing that, uh, being able to see how the Old Testament points toward Jesus and, and Matthew's use of that. It's just, yeah. it's such a cool thing to see uh, and just really just brings to life the Old Testament even more when you think yeah. of it and read it in the lens of, of Jesus and him coming. Um, it's just great. Now, um, this has kind of brought us to the end of our questions for today. Yeah. Uh, but... Nathan, we've got to listen to you again this Sunday. Yeah, goodness me, yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm sick of hearing my voice, so yeah, I can only yeah. imagine what you guys... I know, I'm just trying got... to butt in then just to change up the sound. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to have to throw it back to you, mate, because, yeah. dude, what are we looking yeah. at? Yeah, so uh, we're... So we, Gone from Jesus, the private birth, and then it's gone public, and now we're going to skip forward thirty years, and so we're going to mm. meet uh, meet Jesus' cousin first of all, John the Baptist, and he's out in the wilderness, and and he's preaching, and and we're just going to look at the themes of humility and repentance mm. because. Everything about John screams humility. Uh, his message is a call to repentance, and so um, yeah, we're going to see 
a bunch of people who immediately come to John and, and, and confess their sins and are humble and are repentant. And then we see religious leaders who are coming uh, to judge and test. And um, John's going to call them out before they even get a word in. So they yeah. walk onto the scene and he calls them a brood of vipers. He's got no... Ooh. He's not mucking around at all, John. Ooh. But um, no. yeah, thinking about you know humility and repentance uh, because we do follow a humble saviour in Jesus. And um, yeah, I think, I think it was C.S. Lewis that wrote that uh, it's pride that is the biggest stumbling block for humanity to receive mm. Christ, and mm. and and so thinking about, yeah, yeah, challenging challenging ourselves. Are we humble enough to submit ourselves to Jesus as King? And and uh, and yeah, if we if we have pride, then that's gonna that's gonna block us from following the true King. And and yep. like Dave's been raising this whole series, we're gonna try and put ourselves as the true King, which yeah. just isn't our place. No, no, that's great, man. Well, looking forward to it. Look, just to let you know what's coming up on this Sunday, um, there are a gift on every single seat Ooh. in our oh, church. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I encourage you to, to grab one of those. I'm going to not tell you what it is, but definitely be here this Sunday. We'd love for you to take that home with you. We have the Equip Women's Conference coming up on June 18. So that's a live stream event, but we're mm-hmm. going to be hosting uh, that at our church. And so we encourage you to come along if you're a woman. We're looking at uh, Lamentations. Uh, and so it's going to be a great opportunity for fellowship. Uh, there'll be some food on the day. And so if you want to find out more, um, email office at kcsydney.com.au to find out more about that. We also have a newcomers uh, event on the 5th of June. So if you're listening to our podcast and want to come check out Kelly Anglican, we'd love to have you join us. There'll be a newcomers event um, after the 8.30 and 10.30 services. And then just before 6.15 at 5.30, uh, we'll have one as well where you get to meet Dave, ask some questions, have a, uh, some yummy food, uh, not dinner, just a bit of a light supper or um, um, morning tea and we'd just love for you to feel welcome to come to that uh, I'll be there I'm sure Nathan Richard will be around as well Indeed. and um, yeah we'd love to, to get to know you as well so that's an open invite for you well that brings us to the end of Set on Sunday episode 4 take 2 mm-hmm. uh, if you've made it to the end thank you uh, the secret buzzword is pineapples so if you come find us and say that then we'll know <laughs> well, that you've listened to the end in, uh, much uh, more gusto today guys much yeah. more gusto yeah. 10 yeah. times the gusto ten times than yesterday. the gusto yeah. so <laughs> Look, it's been great to have you join us. We really hope you found uh, this podcast today helpful and we really hope that we're going to catch you on Sunday. So take care and we'll see you soon. God bless. See you then. See ya.